Section 18 of The Haunted Organist of Hurley Burley and Other Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria Fatima da Silva. The Haunted Organist of Hurley Burley and Other Stories by Rosa Mulholland. The Fit of Elsie's Shoe, Chapter 3 It was speedily settled between Mary McQuillan and the widow Devonish that Elsie should go to the ball. I have a fine piece of yellow chainy silk, said the widow Devonish, that Sailor Johnny sent me from beyond, he says. It would make her a skirt, barring it wasn't too long, and a hem of something else lined on behind. And I've a ducky bit of cherry tabinet, said Mary the mother, that Brother Pat the weaver sent me from Dublin to make a bonnet of. It'll cut into a beautiful jockey for her, barring we don't make the sleeves too wide. So, on the eventful night, Elsie was dressed out in yellow silk skirt and cherry-coloured bodice, with a fine pair of stockings of Mary's own knitting, with magnificent clocks up the sides. Her little bog-trotting brogues were polished, till you could see yourself in the toes, and a pair of elegant black silk mittens covered her hands up to her little brown knuckles, stretching up past her wrists to make amends for the scantiness of her sleeves. Then she had a grand pair of clanking earrings as long as your little finger, which the widow Devonish had worn as a bride. And the two mothers, taking each a side of the victim's head, plaited her thick black hair into endless numbers of fanciful braids, which they rolled round the crown of her head, and into which they planted a tortoise-shell comb, curved like the back of an armchair, which Jamie's mother had worn at his christening and which towered over elsie's head like minerva's helmet put on the wrong way ned mucklehern of the windy gap was to take her to castle craigie in his new spring cart and two hours before dark elsie was standing at the door looking longingly for a glimpse of huey coming over the hill to see how handsome she looked in her strange finery. But Huey did not appear, and vowing vengeance on him for his sulks, Elsie submitted to be packed up in the cart. But it's no use taking the rune now, she said. I be to go through with it. And with desperate bravery she said good night to Ned Mucklehern, who at her command set her down at a little distance from the entrance gates out and in of which the carriages were rolling at such a rate as made poor elsie's heart thump against her side till it was like to burst through pat the weaver's tabinet she crept in through a little side gate and up the avenue keeping as much as possible in shelter of the trees but it was not quite dark yet and the coachman coming and going stared at her, taking her, maybe, for some masquerading gypsy or strolling actress, whom Lady Betty had engaged to amuse the company. 
She arrived at the hall door just in time to see a flock of young ladies in white robes float gracefully over the threshold, and the absurdity of her own costume came before her in its terrible reality. Covered with confusion, she looked about to see if she could escape among the trees and hide there till morning. But one of the grand servants had espied her, and under his eyes, Elsie scorned to beat a retreat. "'What is your business here, young woman?' asked this awful person, as she stepped into the glare of the hall lights. "'I am one of Lady Betty's guests,' said Elsie, lifting her head. But a horrible tittering greeted this announcement from a crowd of other servants, who were all eyeing her curiously from head to foot. Elsie was ready to sink into the earth with shame and mortification when happily the arrival of a fresh carriage full of guests diverted the general attention from herself and she heard someone saying this way miss glad to escape anywhere she followed a servant whose face she could not see but whose voice was wonderfully familiar passing through an inner hall her hand was grasped by this person and she was swiftly drawn into a pantry and the door shut oh hughie hughie cried elsie bursting into tears and clinging to his arm then where did you drop from anyways wished avumin said hughie we haven't a minute to stay for yon chaps who'll be running in and out here all night but do you think Huey could rest easy at home and you unprotected in this place? One of the fellows was knocked up with all the wine that's going, and they were glad to give me his place and his clothes. You won't feel so lonesome. Oh, Huey, I wish I'd stayed at home as you bid me. And your hand, Huey. Och, never mind it, a store. I'll only carry small trays, and the one hand'll do beautiful. Come now, Arun. So, resuming his character of servant, Huey squired his trembling lady love up Lady Betty's gilded staircase. The ball was held in an old-fashioned hall, whose roof was crossed with dark rafters, from which gloomy old banners were swinging. The door was partly open, and Elsie peeped in oh hughie hughie she whispered take me back to the pantry i'll lie close in a cupboard and never stir a stir till morning it couldn't be done darling whispered hughie he must put a bold face on it and take your chance he opened the door wide and elsie felt herself swallowed up in a blaze of light and color with a hum in her ears as of a thousand bees all buzzing round her head at once. When she recovered from her first stunned sensation and regained consciousness of her own identity, she found herself seated side by side with the five Miss McWillans from Barley Scuffling, all dressed in their grass-coloured satin, all with their noses redder than ever, all eyeing her askance from her comb to her brogues, and tittering just as the servants had done in the hall 
a band was playing and a crowd of people were dancing but it seemed to elsie whenever she looked up that nobody had got anything to do but to stare at her when she saw the elegant slippers of the dancers she was afraid to stir lest the hammering of her feet should be heard all over the room and when mcquillan of the reek came up to her and making a low bow begged the honor of dancing with her elsie's ears began to sing with confusion and her teeth to chatter with fright but as she did not know how to refuse she got up and accompanied him to where there was an empty space on the floor the band was playing a lively tune as a quadrille and elsie thinking anything better than standing still fell to dancing her familiar jig with energy she had once slapped this gentleman's lace for his impertinence and she believed that he had now led her out to avenge himself by her confusion so elsie danced her jig and finding that the clatter of her brogues was drowned by the music she gained courage and danced it with spirit round and round her astonished partner till the lookers-on cried brava and the laugh was turned against mcquillan of the reek who was after all very glad when she made him her curtsy and allowed him to take her back again to the barley scuffling maidens who had not been dancing at all and who held up their five fans before their five faces in disgust at elsie's performance a magic word supper acted like a charm on all the crowd thinned and disappeared and nobody noticed elsie every gentleman had his own partner to attend to and no one came near the little peasant girl elsie was very glad for she would rather endure hunger than be laughed at and she was just beginning to nod asleep in her seat when in came hughie i'm going to fetch you something to eat darling he said and hurried away again and elsie was just beginning to nod asleep once more when mcquillan of the reek came in saying the lady betty had sent him to conduct her elsie to the supper room lady betty was sitting at the head of the most distant table with a knife in her hand and a huge cake before her the more substantial eatables seemed to have been already discussed for every guest had a slice of this cake on a plate before him or her they were nibbling it and mincing it up with knives all were silent and all looked anxious and dissatisfied elsie thought the silence and the dissatisfaction were all on account of her audacious entrance this way said lady betty mcquillan in a voice that made elsie start and the august hostess cleared a place at her side for our blushing heroine the wax lights blazed on lady betty's golden turban and elsie did not dare to look at her face she sat down and lady betty with her own hand helped her to a small cut of the wonderful cake elsie was very hungry and the cake was very good she devoured a few morsels eagerly then she ceased eating why don't you eat child said lady betty in a voice that again made elsie start and this time she ventured to look up she looked up and stared as if the clouds had opened above her head there was a little withered yellow face 
with twinkling black eyes looking down on her a face that she had seen before it was penny mccambridge from loch nayside who was to have been her godmother only for the unfortunate pain in her heel who was sitting there dressed up in purple velvet and a cloth of gold turban oh mother what would be the end of this penny mccambridge be fooling all the gentry folks of the country round pretending to be the lady of castle craigie or stay whether was penny mccambridge acting lady betty mcquillan or had lady betty mcquillan been acting penny mccambridge why don't you eat child repeated lady betty as elsie sat turning her piece of cake about on her plate i'm hungry enough said elsie but i cannot eat this my lady barin you want me to choke myself and elsie held up her bit of cake in which was wedged the ring that declared her the heiress of castle craigie well i need not tell how after supper some of the guests who were spiteful ordered their carriages and whirled away in disgust how others who were not spiteful stayed and danced the morning in how some who were good-natured congratulated elsie on her good luck how others who were quite the reverse yet fawned on the bewildered heroine of the evening how elsie was kept close by the wonderful lady betty all the rest of the time how she watched in vain for another glimpse of hughie how in the end she was conducted to a splendid bedchamber where she was frightened out of her senses at the grandeur of the furniture and could not get a wink of sleep for the softness of the stately bed the news was not long in travelling over the country and next day when a carriage dashed up to the foot of the lonan jamie and his wife thought they were prepared to receive their fortunate daughter with dignity but when elsie walked in to them in a white pelisse and sandaled slippers her bonny dark eyes looking out at them from under a shade of a pink satin hat and feathers this delusion of theirs was dispelled mary's exultation knew no bounds and jamie said can this fine lady be my daughter nervously and with tears in his eyes and elsie sat on a chair in the middle of the floor she had swept so often and cried and pulled off her fine hat and threw it to the furthest corner of the kitchen vowing she would never leave her father and mother to go and live with lady betty and lady betty who was present was not a bit angry although the beautiful hat was spoiled but began telling how she would educate elsie and take her to see the distant world and how she would dress her like a princess and marry her to some grand gentleman who should bear the name of mcquillan or adopt it but elsie only crying worse at this than before she threw a purse of gold into mary's lap and began describing all the good things she would do for jamie and his wife if elsie would only come with her how she would build them a pretty house how they should have servants to attend them and horses and cows and money at command and elsie listening to this cried more violently than ever with her swollen eyes staring through the door out to the hill that led across to hughes then when lady betty had done mary the mother began 
Elsie took her eyes from the open door and looked at the father. But Jamie, afraid to mar his child's brilliant prospects, only hung his head and said never a word at all. Then Elsie's heart seemed to break with one loud sob. I'll go, Faith, cried she, and may God forgive ye all, and rushed out of the cottage and down the lonen, bareheaded and weeping. Midway she stopped on the road, and pulling off one of her pretty shoes, she flung it from her with all her might till it struck the trunk of a far tree growing on the hill that led to Huey's. That's the slipper to you for good luck, Huey Devnish, she said. And if ever I forget you to marry a fine gentleman, may the Lord turn my grand gowns into rags again, and the bit that I ate into sand in my mouth. So Elsie said goodbye to home. The next day Lady Betty and Miss McQuillan departed from Castle Craigie for the continent. End of chapter 3 of The Fit of Elsie's Shoe